the second foundation of mindfulness is the theme for tonight. And that's mindfulness of feeling. And the term in Pali is Vedana. And I want to mention a little bit about the meaning of Vedana because when we say feeling in English, most people think of emotions. They think of feeling happy or feeling sad. But Vedana refers to the feeling tone of pleasantness, the feeling tone of unpleasantness, and that feeling tone that is neither pleasant nor unpleasant and sometimes called neutral. But in the texts, they don't say neutral. They say neither pleasant nor unpleasant. So it's this nice long phrase each time. This gets us in tune with not the emotional level of experience, but the affective level of experience. And it's important to recognize these feelings because if we don't meet them with mindfulness, they condition the underlying tendencies of aversion, desire, and ignorance. Often we react to the objects of perception, the things that we see, hear, smell, taste, touch, or think. And we're relatively oblivious to the underlying feeling tone of pleasure or pain or neutrality. Sometimes we might then try to eliminate the object of the experience. Say we react to a sound and we want to get, make that sound go away. But maybe it's not the sound that we're reacting to. Maybe it's an unpleasant feeling tone that's associated with the sound. Sounds are very interesting because sometimes it's not a physical experience of an unpleasant vibration. There are certain pitches or, that are really unpleasant. Certain particular sounds, like that sound of nails going, it's, it's just unpleasant whether you see it or not. Um, nails on that chalkboard, that's what I think. Or um, there's certain unpleasant sounds when they're just really, really loud. But a lot of times, the unpleasant quality isn't with the physical experience of hearing. With sounds, very often, it's with the association of. It's an unpleasant thought about. It's an unpleasant association with. Sometimes, if we just bring mindfulness to the feeling tone of experience, the reactivity of trying to get something to go away just completely vanishes. And as well, the desire to get more of what we like, if we're working with a pleasant feeling, um, vanishes. Sometimes we may, we may um, have a... Um, I went to the Coastside Sangha last night. Um, has anybody visited out there? It's actually at a beautiful place, the lighthouse over in Montara, just north of, 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 of um, Half Moon Bay. And it's quite beautiful. I recommend going in the summer rather than the winter, though, because then you can um, enjoy the, um, the, 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 the views and the water before the sitting group starts, have a nice sitting, and then come home. Um, so I was teaching there last night. And before I had gone over, I rarely go over the hill for some reason, and before I had gone over, over, the, over 92, somebody told me, there's a great place to get olali berry pie and told me which coffee shop sells the best olala berry pie. Now, when I was a child, my family used to go over to Half Moon Bay, and we would pick the, uh, at the, 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 the berries at the olala berry farms, 
And then I would go home and I would make olala berry pie and olala berry fruit roll. And I hadn't had an olala berry, olali berry, however, since I was a child. And it's a very distinctive flavor. And I thought, oh, yeah, I'd love to have a piece of olala berry pie. So I went and got a piece of olala berry pie before the sitting group. It was exactly the way I remembered it. Amazing, exactly, just like an olala berry pie. And now that's a pleasant experience. Now, there can be, though, a, a, a mindfulness of the pleasant experience, or there can be a desire for more. Sometimes when we want more of something, a second piece of olala berry pie, or how much does the whole pie cost so that I can take it home? They wouldn't sell it to me because it was in glass. But I did ask. They didn't. I don't know. They, I don't know why they didn't have them to go. But that desire for more sometimes can come because we haven't actually felt the pleasantness of the feeling. It's more like the pleasure just triggers a desire, but we haven't rested in the pleasure itself. Sometimes when we let the mindfulness really touch pleasantness, there isn't any space for that next level of desire to occur because we're saturating the mind in a present moment experience of pleasure. And it doesn't then, the mindfulness combined with the pleasure, doesn't then trigger the desire for more. Just the, the next step is the unpleasantness of craving. So the experience can become actually unpleasant. I frequently find that I think things are unpleasant that I know are pleasant because of the craving either to continue with it or have more of it. That's a really good point. That's a really good point. And it's a very subtle point, and it's a subtle thing to notice. So there's the pleasantness, perhaps, of the taste. Now. If the craving, if, if I'm not mindful of that and then there's a craving for it, then not only have I abandoned the pleasant experiences of the taste, but I've welcomed the pain of craving. Now, very often what happens though is we don't want to then feel the pain of craving. And so we just try to get something because we think that the pain then will go away when we get it and we're propelled in this cycle. But the whole process actually works if we can be mindful of the pleasantness of the olala berry pie. Or it actually will work quite similarly if we can be present and mindful of the pain of craving. Also the mind will settle and come to stillness and come to peace in that presentness, whether it's with pleasant experience or painful experience. And it's very interesting to see this intertwining of the pleasant experience that gives rise to an unpleasant habit of craving. If we're unmindful of pleasant feeling, then that craving, that underlying tendency to greed gets activated. And grasping after pleasure not only is based on greed, but it further conditions this attraction this um, craving for pleasure. If we're unmindful of an unpleasant feeling, then the underlying tendency to aversion gets activated. And pushing away the unpleasant experience not only is based upon, but further conditions the reaction of anger, of aversion, of, of reactivity against pain. 
Now, if we're unmindful of a neutral feeling, then the underlying tendency to delusion gets activated. When we're spacing out for the neutral, unaware of that in-between feeling, that spacing out that con- is a conditioned reaction that is not only based upon, but further conditions indifference to the feeling that is neither pleasant nor unpleasant. Feelings arise, pleasant, unpleasant, and neutral, and each is linked to an underlying tendency towards greed, hate, or delusion. These are the three poisons. The three feelings and the three poisons interact together. As long as we're pushed and pulled between these feelings without mindfulness, there's no freedom, there's no peace, there's no ease. The Buddha said if he feels a pleasant feeling, he feels it detached. This is of a a wise approach to things. If he feels a painful feeling, he feels it detached. If he feels a neither painful nor pleasant feeling, he feels it detached. This bhikkhus is called a noble disciple who is detached from birth, aging, and death, who is detached from sorrow, lamentation, pain, displeasure, and despair, who is detached from suffering, I say. Now, some people don't like this word detachment. I love it. It's not attaching. When we experience attachment and we recognize it, we detach. We don't, he doesn't say one is detached um, from one, he doesn't say one is detached from, he doesn't say one, that one is not feeling, he says he feels it detached. He feels it detached. There's an intimacy with the experience that is fully felt, but not through the, the, the pattern of attachment. This is very different than detaching from feeling. We feel it detached. We don't detach from feeling. This is something that's very often misunderstood because sometimes we think that if we're going to be equanimous or neutral around or, or unreactive around feeling that we're going to somehow be shielded from feeling. But actually the Buddhist approach of mindfulness of feeling is to be incredibly intimate and present and close to feeling but without that extra investment of desire, of aversion, or of um, delusion. So we, in a way, take the resistance or the agitation out of the experience with feeling so that the mind can settle into actually feeling the unpleasant feeling, feeling the pleasant feeling, and feeling the neutral feeling, but without attachment. I was um, sitting a retreat not long ago, as I often am, and um, I had a, quite a severe bout of muscular cramping. I didn't like it. And a lot of aversion to this. Like, I didn't like it at all. And my mind immediately went into a whole cycle of thoughts and reactions, and I kind of I was moaning and groaning and bewailing my situation and wondering how I could possibly meditate with 
these cramps. Now, the one thing that didn't occur to me, I mean, I'm embarrassed to say I had to be, it had to be suggested in an interview when I went in saying how I couldn't, I couldn't meditate because of all these cramps. <laughs> My teacher suggested this wild idea. Like, did you try being mindful of it? No. <laughs> I was so lost in the overwhelming experience of the cramps that I hadn't actually directed my attention to the experience with mindfulness. I was only directing my attention to it through the veil of aversion. Through this is what it is and I hate it. I hate this and this is what it is. I had not settled out to just experience the muscular cramping. So I, after that interview, I experienced cramping with incredibly clear mindfulness, and it was very interesting, extremely interesting. The interest didn't make it pleasant. It was still unpleasant. I could feel the very point at which the cramps began and how it radiated through the muscular system, how the whole body temperature changed with floods of heat and then cold and sweat. And there was a shivering and a shaking and, and the rippling through the, through, the, through the body and, you know, how far it went. And it, it, was, it was strong muscular cramping can affect the entire, the entire muscular nervous system, everything. A very intense experience. It was still unpleasant. But the mindfulness took the aversion out of it. And that was all it was, was the series of sensations that were unpleasant. And I needed the encouragement to bring my attention not just to the, the sensations themselves. I needed the encouragement first to bring it below the concept of I am feeling this thing that I hate. And then below the concept of muscular cramping. And then below, again, the concept of pulling, tightening, tension, which I, I could have reported, at, which I was aware of that level, but even deeper to just settle the attention on a fluid changing experience and the flow of pleasant and unpleasant. This kind of an experience can transform the way we relate to sensory experience because then we're not avoiding it with any resistance or aversion. Resistance wants something else to be happening. It could be wanting more of something. It could be wanting less of something. But when we bring mindfulness to feeling, it is just feeling, not more, not less, just what it is. We see how quickly sensory experience changes, and so there's no desire or sense or need to change it because we know that it's changing. We actually have the capacity to feel feeling. We don't need to separate ourselves with these um, habitual concepts. And we also don't need to react against feeling. Pleasure and pain neither need to be avoided nor pursued because our hearts are spacious enough to experience them both without contraction, without fear, just allowing them to arise and to pass in their own way. I find observing Vedana, this quality of feeling, to bring an, an, a whole other view into the possibility of freedom and the possibility of equanimity. We can free the mind from the reactions of desire, 
and anger and craving. And we can also simply have equanimity in the flow of senses that move, sensory experience that moves through pleasure and pain. We can track our feelings as feelings through the body. In the Satipatthana Sutta, the Buddha said, And how bhikkhus does a bhikkhu abide contemplating feeling as feeling? Here, when feeling a pleasant feeling, a bhikkhu understands, I feel a pleasant feeling. It's a fairly simple instruction. When feeling a painful feeling, he understands, I feel a painful feeling. When feeling a neither painful nor pleasant feeling, he understands, I feel a neither painful nor pleasant feeling. As simple as that. Had I done that with the cramps, I wouldn't have been moaning and groaning. I would have just known this is an unpleasant feeling. As simple as that. He does go on a little bit more and he describes that we feel a worldly painful feeling, a worldly unpleasant feeling, and an unworld and a, and a, new, and a neither painful nor pleasant, and then goes through the feel, three feelings with unworldly too, so both worldly and unworldly feelings, and also um, both feeling them internally and externally, and experience their rising and their vanishing. This is how bhikkhu, a bhikkhu abides contemplating feelings as, as feelings. So I want to talk a little bit more about this particular verse from the, the Satipatthana Sutta. But first, I'd like us to sit for a minute and just, um, just close your eyes for a moment, sit comfortably. And let yourself be in touch with feeling. you actually have the capacity to experience the full range of feeling from unpleasant to pleasant and that neither pleasant nor unpleasant that spans a rather wide range between those two distinct feelings. I'd like you first to Bring your attention to the experience of hearing, hearing sounds. First, just bring yourself, your mindfulness to that experience of hearing. And then settle into it with the query, what is the feeling of this? Is it pleasant? Is it unpleasant? Or is it neither? Rather than make an intellectual determination, when you sense the feeling tone of pleasantness or unpleasantness or neutrality, let the attention settle in to feeling the pleasantness of pleasant experience, feeling the unpleasantness of painful experience, feeling the neutrality of neither painful nor pleasant experience. 
What aspect of it is pleasant? What aspect of it is painful? Is it the sensory experience itself? The vibrational impact? Is it a thought about it? An association with it? Does the experience spark any reaction? A reaction of aversion, of judgment, or of craving and desire, of leaning into it? Or of indifferent boredom? See if you can make a distinction between the reaction and the feeling tone itself. Let go of the reaction and settle into the feeling tone of the experience. If you have a clear sense of that reaction, you might feel the feeling tone associated with the reaction. As we spoke about earlier, craving is very often painful even if it's around a pleasant experience. of the experience of hearing and bring your attention into the body. See if you can find an unpleasant experience in the body. If you can find nothing unpleasant, you might just squeeze two fingers together or press your tongue against a tooth just a little tiny bit. Sometimes a little tiny bit of pressure can be unpleasant. Experience the quality of unpleasantness with mindfulness. Is it entirely unpleasant? 
Or does the unpleasantness fluctuate with some aspects that might be pleasant or neutral? Can you move your attention between the experience itself, the object, say pressure or tingling or whatever you're noticing, and the unpleasant quality? like when we look at a blue cup we can see blue and we can see the shape of the cup the roundness of it and yet we can also distinguish blue from roundness see if you can make that distinction as you observe this unpleasant sensation sometimes letting the mindfulness rest in the unpleasantness and sometimes in the sensation that is unpleasant. And then let that go and scan the body for a pleasant experience. Check out the breath. See if there's any quality in the breathing or any point of contact in the breath that might be pleasant. Check out the hands. See if there's any quality any sensory experience that might be pleasant there. Or just generally scan the body. And then focus in on that pleasant experience. Settle the attention there. Know what is the experience that's pleasant, but also notice the pleasantness of the pleasant sensation. Is it entirely pleasant or are there moments that are unpleasant too? Is it an entirely sensory based experience? Or is there any reactivity involved of craving, of interpreting, of wanting?
bring a thought to mind that is unpleasant. And bring a thought to mind that's pleasant. And bring a thought to mind that is neutral. Did you notice any differences in your experience? Try it again, just in your own pace, kind of waving through a pleasant thought, an unpleasant thought, and then a neutral thought. With the interest to see the difference in feeling tone and how the mind and body respond to feeling. I'm often surprised when I actually experience a feeling. It's not always what I would have expected. Sometimes I'll experience something that's pleasant, but actually there are lots of moments within it that are unpleasant. Even that Olala Berry Pie, the memory was pleasant, the association was pleasant, the smell was pleasant, the taste. But all that chewing and swallowing, I mean, at some point it gets kind of icky. There was a lot of little moments within it that are unpleasant. Sometimes a painful experience can also have moments that are quite pleasant. I notice this a lot when I'm observing pain in meditation. I might be, I might be letting the attention rest, say, in, in, a, in a, um, a pulsing sensation in the shoulder, and it gets hot. And, you know, sometimes the heat is burning and unpleasant, but sometimes it's kind of warm and kind of nice. And sometimes that, that um, pulsing of, of spasms is actually quite pleasant as well as unpleasant. Um, there can be lots of different shifts between pleasantness and unpleasantness when we're watching feeling tone. One of the things that I like about watching feelings is sometimes there's this assumption that if we could get more pleasant feelings, we would be happy. 
And when we start to watch feeling tones and we realize that even pleasant sensations are quite mixed up, we, we, there's a, a real sense that this is totally doomed to fail. It would never work. And we know that it would never work. But if we can let the attention rest just on the flow of Vedana, through, a med, through part of a meditation period or through part of our day, just feeling the different responses and reactions to pleasure and pain, pleasantness, unpleasantness, and neutrality, we get a whole different perspective on life. The neutral feelings are very often not noticed because they're so subtle. Sometimes we just go for the extremes of pleasant and pain. But a vast number of our encounters in a day are actually quite neutral. Or maybe not neutral, but somewhere in between. Neither quite pleasant nor quite unpleasant. The mind tends to blur feeling tone because the sense of Um, self-interest comes in very strongly. I like this and I don't like that. We have views and opinions about what are pleasant sounds and what are unpleasant sounds. We may like the sound of a bird, but we may hate the sound of traffic. And even if they're at the same relative volume, we'll have a different reaction to the sound of a bird or to the sound of a traffic. The sound of one person's voice versus the sound of somebody else's voice based upon different associations. If we can learn to see how we react to feeling, it's almost like this whole other world of investigation opens up because Underneath that reaction to the concept of what something is, whether we like it or don't like it, is just the simple experience of, oh, this is what a pleasant feeling feels like. This is what an unpleasant feeling feels like. The Buddha suggested in response to feelings, he had three words in response to feelings in one sutta. He said, such it is. A pleasant feeling is like this, such it is. An unpleasant feeling is like this, such it is. A neither pleasant nor unpleasant, a neutral feeling, it's easier to say. Such it is. And sometimes I just take those three words to remind myself such it is. This is how it is. This is what it is. I, didn't, I mentioned this worldly and unworldly feelings earlier, but I didn't like expand on that. And I thought it was a very interesting distinction in the Satipatthana Sutta. The worldly sensory experiences, pleasant, unpleasant, and neither, are um, sensory-based. Smelling, tasting, touching, thinking, body, seeing, hearing. Uh, basic things. We go around our world, we have bodies, we have minds, and that's basically the worldly experience. But there's another kind of feeling that the Buddha gave a great deal of attention to when he spoke about feeling, and that's what he calls unworldly feelings. Those are meditative experiences. Those are the meditative pleasures. Those are the, the pleasures and the delights that come through the development of our practice. And there are many feelings that support the path. In fact, it was a recollection of a feeling that the Buddha had that dramatically shifted his meditation practice and turned him from a very severe period of austerity and fasting to going and sitting under the Bodhi tree and becoming enlightened. 
That recollection was of a time when he was a child and he sat under the shade of a rose apple tree while his father was plowing at, um, was doing the initial plowing at a festival. Um, and he was just sitting under this tree and he spontaneously entered deep states of concentration that were associated with rapture and pleasure. And his thought was, could this be the path to enlightenment? Is there anything to fear from these feelings associated with concentration? And he decided that there was nothing to fear from these non-sensual feelings. And then he changed his orientation to practice and was very soon enlightened. Feelings can be a very powerful asset to the practice. Um, this quality of pleasure that comes through, um, I, I shifted my use of the word feeling, but it's a quality of pleasantness and pleasure that can come through different mental factors like rapture and delight and bliss. And I want to mention some of the very powerful um, forms that pleasure can come through in our practice because they are a source of strength. First, of course, there's deep concentration, which has rapture, pleasure, and happiness. There's also a quality of safety and confidence that comes through keeping the precepts. And this is a pleasant feeling. There can also be a tender appreciation that comes in an act of compassion. That can also bring a feeling that's pleasant. When we are experiencing renunciation, there's a quality of contentment, and that also is pleasant. In fact, on the renunciation, one of my favorite little suttas is of a, um, a venerable Dadia who was, who was a, a king in his life. Um, it was well, not, maybe not, not a king. He was at least in the, in the royal family. And he um, had joined the monastic order and had gone to the forest and was practicing in seclusion, sitting under a tree. And some of the other monks heard him sitting under the tree and he kept kind of exclaiming, Oh, what bliss! What bliss! Oh, what bliss! And he was like in this rapturous delight, calling out, What bliss! Now the other monks thought, in fact, what they said was, There is no doubt that Venerable Badia hasn't, doesn't enjoy leading the holy life, for when he was a householder, he knew the bliss of kingship, so that now, on recollecting that, he is repeatedly exclaiming, what bliss, what bliss. They assumed that he was thinking about his, his life as a king and while he was sitting and meditating. <coughs> so they, these other monks went and reported this, what they believed was a transgression to the Buddha. The Buddha called Venerable Badia and asked him, interesting, he didn't assume, he asked him, was he indeed exclaiming, what bliss, what bliss? And he says, yes, he was exclaiming, what bliss? And then the Buddha said, um, what meaning do you have in mind that you repeatedly exclaim, what bliss, what bliss? And um, he ex the venerable Vadia explained, before, when I was a householder maintaining the bliss of kingship, I had guards posted within and without the royal apartments within and without the city, within and without the countryside. But even though I was thus guarded, thus protected, I dwelled in fear, agitated, distrustful, and afraid. 
But now on going alone to the forest, to the foot of a tree, or to an empty dwelling, I dwell without fear, unagitated, confident, and unafraid, unconcerned, unruffled, my wants satisfied, and my mind like a wild deer. This is the meaning I have in mind that I repeatedly exclaim, what bliss, what bliss. So there's a great deal of happiness that comes with renunciation. There are also energies of the Brahma-viharas, loving-kindness, compassion, joy, and equanimity that have very strong feeling tones associated with them. Equanimity is a very peaceful state in the mind. It's also described as a kind of pleasure, even though it's not a sensory pleasure. There's also a kind of strength that comes when we experience the pain of the world. Experiencing pain with mindfulness, being opened to no dukkha, suffering, isn't always an experience that is unpleasant. Very often we may be aware of an unpleasant experience, but because of the quality of mindfulness associated with it, there is a deep joy that comes. And although part of the, 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 the suffering, the dukkha that we're observing, the pain that we're observing, might be unpleasant, the quality of mind that knows it might be filled with lightness and ease. There can also be a vitality that comes with vipassana and clear seeing, and that vitality and energy and clarity can have a pleasant feeling tone to it. And of course, there's what's called the incomparable bliss of the liberated mind. And when we are not involved in the dynamics of attachment, the mind experiences pleasantness. Whether our experience, though, is pleasant, painful, or neutral is not inherently good or bad. Some people say that this is determined by past karma and actually isn't controlled by the present moment or how we react to the present moment. I don't know for sure. But it does seem to me that we can be mindful of pleasant experience and unpleasant experience and neutral experience. And we can also be aware of the genesis of that experience. Is it coming out of something that is conditioned by greed, hate, and delusion? One of those poisons. Or is it coming out of an experience from the depths of our meditation, from our precepts, from compassion, from loving kindness? Is it further conditioning these root tendencies of greed, hate, and delusion? Or is it releasing the mind from reactivity around greed, hate, and delusion? When the Buddha discussed feelings, he, and the commentaries as well that talk about feeling, also ask other questions regarding feeling. They ask the question, who feels? Whose feeling is it? For what reason do these feelings come to be? These are not just questions that contemporary teachers are asking you to try and make it sound new agey. This is part of the contemplation of Vedana to see how is self invested in the experience of feeling. Whose feeling is it? Feelings are being felt. Are they felt by somebody or are they known without ownership? When we work with Vedana, 
we don't need to take our feelings personally. Even though in normal life, very often we take our feelings very personally. We actually don't have to. It can simply be an unpleasant feeling being known, a pleasant feeling being known. When we realize feeling as it is, feeling it detached, there's very little that we need to do to change feeling. We don't need to get more of the pleasant. We don't need to improve it. We don't need to make less of the unpleasant. We don't need to avoid it. We don't need to somehow sort through the morass of the neither pleasant nor unpleasant experience. But instead, we simply feel it detached. We know what the feeling is. We know how the mind responds to it. We know what its genesis is, whether it's rooted in desire, hate, or aversion, or whether it's rooted in a depth of release. And we're curious, whose feeling is it? Those are the primary investigations that circle around Vedana. What it is, where it comes from, what it gives rise to. Like, does it further condition greed, hate, and delusion? Does it further condition release? How the mind relates to it and whose feeling it is. I would encourage you this week to simply notice feeling. Notice something each day that's either pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral. And see if you can stop for a moment. And you don't have to do a big thing, but stop for a moment and reflect on your response to the feeling level of the experience rather than just the, 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 the conceptual level or the sensory level. See if you can experience unpleasantness and how you respond to that or pleasantness and how you respond to that. And a, real, a much more difficult one to work with is the neutral experience. But it's really important, especially if you experience a lot of boredom in your life. Then, you would, then the neutral, neutral experience would be something to really come to explore. Any questions? It's a question to just pose. It's a question to be curious. Say I'm having a pleasant feeling. Who's who is this? Where does this what does this refer to? It's turning the mind off of its fascination with the object and starting to look at the knowing subject to see what is there. Is there a self that possesses this experience? So it's just a way of mindfulness is taught um, in the Satipatthana Sutta to not only be mindful of the object, but how the mind relates to the object and also to turn the attention to the whole process of our perception and how self arises in perception or what this self is that appears to arise in perception. So it... um, so it's a fun thing to do because it's a very simple question. Whose feeling is this? If you say it's my feeling, then, oh, who, who am I? 
I just follow it back a little bit, follow it back. Just with curiosity, not a big analytical process, just with curiosity. Next week, the subject is mindfulness of mind. Hope to see you then.